0: Welcome to the Josh Blair Ministry Podcast, a podcast all about bringing inspiration and encouragement to your daily walk with Jesus. We pray the message you hear impacts you as you follow Christ. We are continuing in our third week of our series, The Problem of God, answering the skeptics' questions that are related to the existence of God, questions about Jesus and the validity of Christianity. We're going through that. The first week, we looked at the existence of God, saying, based on morality and the universe, it is more rational and logical to believe that there is a God than there is not to believe in a God. Last week, we talked about, is Jesus a myth? Was he a real person? If he was a real person, who was he? Did he claim to be God? And we talked about, yes, he did through Scripture. We can look at his life and recognize that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God. So if you did not hear those messages and you'd like to, you can always go back, uh, go to our podcast. It's under Josh Blair Ministry Podcast. You can look that up on iTunes or through SoundCloud, and you can go back and listen to those. But now that we've established that there is a God who has revealed himself to us through his son Jesus, then we need to answer the next, the next concern, the next question that skeptics have in following Jesus and that is that they have a they have a hard time believing and they have a complaint against Christianity not because of Jesus but because of those who claim to be Christians their statement goes something like this if being a christian looks like that i want nothing to do with it yeah have you ever encountered anybody that had that kind of statement to you or about somebody when relating to Christianity. So they say, I can't be a Christian because Christians are not what they say they are. Yeah? There was, in 2007, the Barna Group did did uh, an intensive research project asking non-Christians why they rejected Christianity. And do you know that the top six answers had nothing to do with evidence or providing evidence for God? It had nothing to do with, is there a God or is Jesus God? The top six complaints about why non-Christians reject Christianity had everything to do with their perception of our morality. They said, the number one answer, 91% of those surveyed said they reject Christianity because they perceive Christians to be anti-gay. The next one is, they, 87% said we reject Christianity because Christians are judgmental. And 85% said we reject Christianity because Christians are hypocrites. Those are the top answers. It had nothing to do with evidences of God. And so for today, people contend that there is no God based on the proof that the, that the people that say follow him aren't very good at it. They, they, they would argue that the greatest proof that God does not exist is the behavior of Christians themselves. So the way that Christians believe and act provides enough evidence for skeptics to say that what they believe is not true. So the question then for us this morning that we're going to answer is, what do we do with the charge of hypocrisy in the church? What should we do about it? First, I think that we need to admit that it's partially true, that there are hypocrites in the church. There are are people who do not uh, hold the truth of Jesus and love with grace and mercy towards others. There are people in church that are judgmental, that are people that are hard-hearted, that are, that, that are, are uh, mean-spirited in the church. Has anybody ever experienced somebody in the church who has judged you, treated you wrongly, or maybe cussed you out? Maybe just me, right? I've encountered all of those things. People that are mean-spirited, not welcoming, judgmental. That, that's in the church, and we have to admit That's a part of being in the church. The church does have hypocritical, judgmental, and mean-spirited people. But why? Why does the church have those kind of people in it? There's two reasons. Are you ready for them? Good. The first one is that the church is filled with people who aren't actually Christians. There are people that go to church that are not Christians at all. And I know this is obvious, we know that as people as believers, that people that are in church aren't necessarily living for Jesus. But I want to say that to make it clear because sometimes skeptics and non-believers want to hold all Christians accountable for that one crazy person who cut them off with a Jesus bumper sticker. Right? Man, see, all Christians are jerks. Look at this guy cutting in right here with his Jesus fish. Who does he think he is? He's not a better driver than me. Yeah? Has anybody ever been cut off by a Jesus fish driver? It just, it happens, you know. And then we're thinking, man, this guy's giving Christians bad names because he don't know how to drive. You know what I'm saying? But there are just some people that now, the guy just might be a jerk. and Or he may be a loving Christian, but just a bad driver. Okay, there's, there's a couple things that happen sometimes. But the fact remains that there are people who don't follow Jesus. Jesus, he, he told us this. He made us aware of it when he talked about there will be false teachers that try to lead people astray, but there will also be false disciples. And we know this because he talks about it in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21-23. He says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of the Father, who is heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, did we not do mighty works in your name, And then Jesus saying, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. People can adopt the culture of Christianity without ever being transformed by the love and grace of Jesus. And he makes it very clear to us in Scripture that there are going to be those who say that they are Believers, but they are not. They are self-righteous, maybe. They are doing all the right things, checking all the right boxes. But in their hearts, they're not yielded to Jesus. They have no desire to follow what he says or do what he established for us to do as believers. Those are the ones that Jesus calls lukewarm in Revelation 3, 16. He says they're good for nothing. They're not effective. They're not doing anything in the kingdom. He calls them hypocrites in Matthew chapter 23. They say one thing and they do the other. That's the definition of being hypocritical. Hypocrite is made up of two words from the Greek kipo, which is where we get the idea of hyperdermic, meaning under the skin or under and krite, which is the uh, idea of hiding behind a mask. or Krite is mask. And so it's saying you're basically saying one thing and then doing another thing. You're wearing a mask in one setting and then you're doing other things in other settings. And so that's going to happen in the church. And sometimes the, these people, hypocrites, they aren't deceiving others, but they're deceiving themselves. You can easily see that someone's not really following Jesus, but they may not actually see the truth in, it, in their own lives. Because the life of a follower of Jesus should produce something in us. It should produce these things. Galatians 5, 23, 24, uh, 22 and 23 says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. A Christian who's following Jesus should begin to bear some of these fruit at some point in their life. Would you agree? There was a study done a few years ago that did did a poll. I'm really big into studies, as you can tell. It did a poll between non-Christians and Christians, about lifestyle activities. And it looked at 10 different things, 10 different categories. It looked at gambling. It looked at visiting pornographic websites. It looked at taking things that don't belong to you, also called stealing. It looked at talking about somebody behind their back, also called gossiping. It looked at visiting a medium or a psychic. It looked at physically fighting or abusing someone, using illegal drugs or non-prescription drugs, uh, saying things that are untrue also known as lying, getting back at someone who did something wrong to you, which is revenge, and drinking enough alcohol to be considered drunk, right? Okay, so it looked at all of the ten categories, and the result found that both groups were nearly identical in every group, in every one of those areas. It showed no difference between non-Christians and Christians. So it's no wonder that the world believes the church is filled with hypocrites when we don't look any different than those that we say we are different from. If our lives aren't producing the evidence of Jesus, are we really pursuing Jesus? Or are we pursuing our own wants and desires? There should be evidence of true discipleship. There should be some evidence that you can look to and say, yes, I am a follower of Jesus. The world sees people that claim to be morally upright, and yet they act sound, and, and live no different than the ones they say are wrong. And if we look at the Bible, it makes it clear that if there's no outward change, if there's no change in affection, no change in passion, no change in devotion, then Jesus would question whether these people are actually Christian at all. But my my. My concern is and my challenge would be to those who are skeptical of Christianity is to examine Christianity based on the central teachings and not on the people who try to follow it. The question should be, what did Jesus teach and how did Jesus live to verify the, the validity of the Christian faith? Because the essence of Christianity is the life and teaching of Jesus. It is not about people who have attempted to follow him and failed, or attempted to follow him and drop the ball, or attempted to follow him and continue to mess up and trip up. That does. That's not the essence of Christianity. The essence of Christianity is what Jesus said and what he did. Would you agree? And we all, we all fall short. I'm not saying if you fall short, you're a hypocrite. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is... If there's not a passion or desire or even a want to seek out Jesus and have him teach you and live by what he taught and have a relationship with him, then there's a real real problem there. There's There's a real situation. If you're not really trying to learn from him and live the way that he taught, then your claim of following Jesus would not really be taken seriously. There has to be some type of evidence. The writer of James, he tells us that just because you believe in God does not save you. Did you know that? Just because you believe that there is a God does not save you. Because James says in James chapter 2, the demons believe in God and they tremble. They know that there's a God. So your knowledge of God is not changing you. It's your relationship with God that will change you. Just because you know about him doesn't mean that you know him he desires to know you so that you can have intimate relationship with him. It's in the knowing of him that really transforms us, really changes us. James can say that because faith alone without an evidence of transformation is dead. Or as James says it, faith without works is dead. If there's no fruit bearing in your life, are you really even pursuing Jesus? Our life, our belief must be unified with our life to honor God. And we honor God by the way we live, by the way we love, by the way we treat people. So that's the first reason. There are people in the church that don't really have a passion or desire to be like Jesus. And so you're going to see that. The world's going to see that. And that's always going to be there. Jesus told us it's always going to be there. Till the end of the age, there's going to be wheat, and then there's going to be weeds. And we don't pull out the weeds, we might damage the weed, the wheat. So, he he leaves them both there. He gives a parable of that in Scripture. The second reason, the second reason I believe that there is a, a challenge of hypocrisy in the church is because there's a misunderstanding of what Christianity really is, as well. I think that the world believes Christianity is a religion that seeks to make bad people good. That Christianity is a is a way to become better. And Christianity uh, is not about following the rules and having your life together. That's not what Christianity is, although that's what it's perceived to be. Christianity is the gospel that, that, that says it's not about what we can do for God, but it's about what God has done for us. It's not about us checking the right boxes or, or saying the right things. It's about recognizing what Jesus did for us. This is the essence of Christianity. The gospel isn't about making good people or bad people good. It's about making dead people alive. Because if we're trapped in our sin, we're trapped and lost. The Bible says we are dead in our sin. And there's no way, no matter what type of effort or passion that we have, we cannot free ourselves from the bonds of sin. We are dead to it. But Jesus says that he came to give us life and life more abundantly, a transformational life, not making us good people making us alive in him. That's the essence of Christianity. That's the power of Christianity. There's no way that we could be perfect. So if it's about making bad people good, we're never going to be good enough. We're never going to make it. That's not the standard of following. That's a wrong understanding of what Christianity does because we couldn't be perfect, so Jesus came and lived perfectly for us so that we could walk in his righteousness and in his perfection. That he established for us. He knew that we couldn't do it, so he brought us life. And God demonstrated, the Bible says, his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. He poured out his love for us. That means his love and his grace and his mercy is something, as the song says, that we can't earn and we don't deserve. We couldn't couldn't do anything to receive it or get it, he gave it to us freely. So, if the core of the Christian faith is about receiving what God did for us, even though we don't deserve it, then what should the church look like? If it's not about being perfect people, because we'll never be perfect people, what should the church look like? Should it look like a country club? A bunch of perfect people standing around, sipping lemonade and wearing sweater vests? At least that's what I think it looks like. Or, should the church be a hospital? Full of broken hurting and messed up people who have said, I tried to do life on my own, and it never got any better. I tried to make things work, and it only fell apart. So I come, and I look, and I seek for the love and the grace of a saving God. That's what the church should be. That's what the church should look like. Amen? That's what the church should represent, not a place of perfect people who are walking around, pretending like they got it all together, because we know you don't have it together. You know I don't have it together. It's only by the grace and love of Jesus that we are saved. And the church should be full of people who are humble and grateful for the love of Jesus. We should not be a people that are proud and entitled and being judgmental, because that's where hypocrisy comes from, being prideful and entitled, thinking you're better than somebody else, you're not better than anybody. I'm not better than anybody because I didn't deserve it. I couldn't earn it. And he gave it to me anyway. So we are a people hurting and broken but seeking Jesus. So I would would speak to skeptics and say instead of condemning Christianity based on Christians who aren't instantly good after their first church service, people should recognize that Christians are in different places in their journey of becoming more like Christ. Just because you step into church does not make you a mature Christian. Just because you make coffee at home does not make you a barista. You know? <laughs> Being in the church doesn't make you the best Christian. It's a process. It's a journey. We're on a journey with Jesus. And we should not judge people in the moment of where they're at. We should look at people and say, how far have they come? Right. Amen? So quickly, we can say, well, he's not doing that right, you're not doing that right, she's not doing this right. Yeah, but do you know where they came from? Do you know what they used to wrestle with, that they don't wrestle with anymore because of the transforming power and love of Jesus? I love this saying, it says, I may not be where I want to be, but thank God I'm not where I used to be. That's powerful. That's powerful. Jesus, he told this parable in Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 9, and he It says, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they treated others with contempt. Who is he telling this parable to? The self-righteous. Those who thought they were better than others. Who who looked at people with contempt saying, you're not a Christian. You're not good enough. You shouldn't even be here. You're messing up the whole vibe of church. This is what he says to those who have that attitude. Starting in verse 10, he says... Two men went into the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee. Pharisees were the righteous, religious elite in their society. Everyone looked up to them. They were the teachers, the wise ones. And the other was a tax collector who was Jewish but basically known as a traitor because he would collect taxes and send them back to Rome. And people also hated tax collectors because they always took more than actually what you're being taxed, kind of like uh, California. And uh, (laughs) they didn't... They didn't like him. So you have this righteous person, the Pharisee. Then you have this thief, con man, tax collector. And Jesus says they both walk into the temple. Verse 11 says, The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But verse 13 says, but the tax collector, standing far off, because he felt so unworthy, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, he says, this man went down to his house justified, but the other, rather than the other, speaking of the Pharisee, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. As we sit in the house this morning, we have to look at our hearts and say, God, who do I most relate with in this story? Do I look at my own righteousness and my own justification to, to say I am in a better place than those who would come in feeling broken and hurting, feeling unworthy? He says, the latter is is the one who has the right heart. He says, God, I'm not worthy even if you're not caught in a lifestyle of sin, even if you've been following Jesus for years, does not mean that you have the right now to become self-righteous. You should still remember, God, I am a broken person in need of forgiveness today. And I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your grace. Because we as believers are called to be humble, not prideful. And the church is made up of people who come to realize that they're imperfect and messed up And those things in your life that you struggle with don't change necessarily overnight, do they? There's sometimes God can move in your life in an instant and you're free of some things that have been binding you for years. But there's other things that are still there that need to be walked through and walked in relationship with so that Jesus can transform you from the inside out. And oftentimes to those on the outside, this looks hypocritical. Hey, you shouldn't be someone who gets angry anymore. Yeah, but I love Jesus, but I still get angry. And I'm asking him to transform me. I'm asking him to change my heart. Hey, you shouldn't be using that language anymore. I know, but I love Jesus and I'm trusting him. and I'm, I'm surrendering that to him, but I'm not perfect yet. I'm not there yet. I, I still need Jesus to transform me. Right? Sometimes people don't know where we've come from, so they don't know the, the struggle that we're dealing with, wasn't the biggest struggle that we've ever dealt with. There used to be things that were mountains that Jesus has beat down into molehills and we we're easy to climb over. He's moved mountains in our lives, in our struggles. So we can't look at people and, and, and say, ah, you, you don't have it right yet, so you're not really a believer. That's why people can say that we're hypocrites. But here, here's my, my challenge To those who say they can't believe in Jesus, based on the actions of those who say they follow his teachings, I would say that you're missing the point. You're focusing your attention in the wrong area. This is what scholars say is a trivial objection. The definition of a trivial objection is is when when critical attention is given to a point that is less significant than the main point or the basic thrust of an argument. Those who say, I can't follow Jesus because these people don't do it well, you're missing the point. The point is that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and there's no other option but him. That's the main point of Christianity. That's the validity of Christianity. It's not based on how well someone is following him. It's based on how well Jesus lived, sacrificed, and continues to live today. That's the validity of Christianity. That's the main point. And to say, I can't follow Jesus because of the way these people who say they're Christians are living is trivial. You're missing the main point because you're putting too much critical attention on a lesser point. Jesus is the Son of God who died for us that you and I can have freedom and life everlasting. That's what gives Christianity validity. That's the truth who Jesus is because in the end when you stand before the Father when you stand before God he's going to ask you what did you do with the offer of salvation in and through the finished work of Jesus that's the question he's going to ask you he's not going to ask you what did others do with it he's not going to ask you hey if your neighbor lived well you're good the Christians in your workplace if they did it right you're saved He's going to ask you, what did you do with it? And that's the main point. How did you take it? What did you do with this free gift of salvation? Is there hypocrisy in the church? Yes. Does that mean that Christianity isn't true or that it doesn't work? No. And I would argue because of the fact that there is hypocrisy means that Jesus is working in our lives. Here's the reason why I say that. Because when the kingdom of God comes, it exposes our sin. When the kingdom of God comes, it causes an upheaval and it confronts us. And it brings to the forefront the things that we're wrestling with and things that we're struggling with that we need to confront. That we need to look at head on. Sin starts to come to the surface whenever we encounter the good news of Jesus starts to bubble up and say, yeah, I want to be a Christian. I want to follow Jesus, but I'm doing this, this, and this. The fact that you're even seeing that you're doing this, this, and this means that Jesus is working in your heart. He's confronting the sin that you know is wrong. The fact that there's hypocrisy in the church means that the the gospel is working because the stuff that we try to push down bubbles up and church gets messy. And we begin to, as Paul says, the things I don't want to do, I do. The things I want to do, I don't do. Because God is causing and confronting the sin that is in our life. When the gospel of Jesus goes out, the people feel the weight of it, and their sin is exposed. Have you ever encountered that before? You're trying to follow Jesus, and then all of a sudden, the thing you didn't even know about bubbles up in you. You're like, well, where did this come from? I didn't even know about this. I didn't, what, am I, do I do this? Is this a regular thing for me? God is confronting those things. And you have a choice to make. When God confronts us in our sin, we can either continue to run to our sin, or we can run to God so that he can transform us, so that he can change us. And we begin, when we run to him, we feel the tension of it. A Christian life is filled with tension. Would anybody say amen to that? Because you begin to feel the war between your flesh and your spirit. There's a constant tension of wanting to do what Jesus calls us to do and and the desire that your flesh has to do what it wants to do. But grace be to God that he gives us the power to overcome. Amen? He gives us the power to be transformed. And this isn't an excuse for hypocrisy in the church. It's a call to follow Jesus. If you are someone who, when you look at your life and you search your heart and say, man, I, I resemble more of the Pharisee. I I justify my, action, or justify my life based on my actions. I do this, this, and this, but what is my relationship with Jesus like? When's the last time I opened my heart to him and allowed him to speak to the things in my life that need to be changed? This is a call for you to turn from hypocrisy and judgmentalism and being hard-hearted and mistreat people and calling you to follow Jesus. And of those of you who are following Jesus but you continue to feel the struggle of, of life and of sin, the call is not to fall back and say well I guess I'll never be free the call is for you to follow Jesus to say he's the only one that can transform you and make you new and give you new life and give you new desires and give you new hope and a new future he's the only one that can do it he's the only one that's going to bring that transformation in you so don't be discouraged because you're continuing to wrestle the fact that you're wrestling should be your encouragement that you're not done yet (laughs) that it's not over yet (laughs) amen don't give up Because the enemy will lie to you and say you'll never be free. You're always going to be this way. You're always going to be messed up and jacked up. So might as well walk away and do what you want to do. No, don't give up. Because transformation comes through and by the power of Jesus in your life. And he can do it. He did it for me. He can do it for you. This is the call to follow Jesus. He calls us out from where we are to where he is. And he calls us to transformation and to bear fruit of repentance, allowing God to confront us and transform us from the inside out. The Bible calls us to judge the truth of Christianity by the life of Jesus and not by those who are attempting to follow Him. Because Him, in Him and Him alone, you will find someone who is worthy to be trusted and imitated. He and he alone is the one that we all have our eyes on. If we take our eyes off him, we begin to look at those around us, we become more concerned with them than we are with him. This is our call this morning.